All right, Psalm 146. And this evening we are uh, concluding several things, but one of them is our series we've been going through, Hope in the Psalms. Hope in the Psalms. Uh, We mentioned when we first started that uh, there are people that approach the holiday season differently. Some people love it. They can't wait to get every inflatable that was ever created with a Christmas theme in their front yard and plugged in. Uh, I've seen it right across the street from Derek's house. Um, It's not me. There are people that immediately, I mean, I'm not saying this in an exaggerated way, as soon as the idea of starting to plan for Christmas are just struck with an anxiety um, that is just fierce um, for many different reasons. And uh, it becomes a, a very troublesome time for for people that are going through that. It becomes a time of uh, remembering everything that happened this last year, uh, both the good, uh, and, and we, some people don't like to see this time or this past year go away. There's other people that can't wait for this year to be over and they can start afresh. Uh, so it's a very emotionally confusing time for a lot of people. And then we all get together and try to act like everything's fine, that we are all good. And so we thought this year, uh, as we said at the beginning of this series, just to spend our time in the Psalms uh, as we see just the different writings of what it is and and where do we place our hope. Uh, No matter what season of life that you're in, no matter what is going on with you, where do we place our hope this time of year? So we're in Psalm 146 to conclude, and it's interesting because in Psalm 146 through Psalm 150, it's almost like a mini book in this book of Psalms, 150 Psalms that are collected. But every one of these Psalms is about praising God or praising the Lord, specifically praising Yahweh, the great I Am. And all of the Psalms, 146 through 150, start with the phrase, praise the Lord, and end with the phrase, praise the Lord. So it is very apparent that the theme is praising the Lord. And how do we praise the Lord? Um... So I want to just jump right in and we'll read Psalm 146. My Christmas present to you this year is hopefully wrapping up in a short amount of time tonight. So you're welcome. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. The other interesting thing with Psalm 146 through 150 is all of them start off as an an individual praise 
uh, one person praising God and concludes with them inviting everybody else in to praise the Lord with them, to praise Yahweh with them. So it starts off singular and then moves to multiple. And I love that because it's uh, having studied it this week and then just seeing people arriving at church. You, you arrive by yourself, but then hopefully by the time you've made your way in here, it's gone from one to multiple people joining around you to do the exact same thing. So we start in verses 1 and 2, and in verses 1 and 2, uh, what we see here is what it is to be living a life committed to praising God. Living a life committed to praising God. I think it's very interesting in um, 2005 uh, to 2008, I worked at a small Bible college, and it was actually the fourth time I had worked at the exact same small Bible college. Um, but we, well, there's something very unique happened in culture. I do not have any scientific data to back this up, just uh, the staff and our dean's department's observations. Uh, my friend Jason was in charge of all of campus activities. And about midway through 2008, uh, we were talking in a staff meeting, and he said, man, I'm really concerned for this culture that I'm seeing right now. And, uh, I mean, that's something that every age group says about every younger age group at, since the beginning of man. Um, but he said, and I was just like, okay, I'll bite, why? He says, in, from just these last three years that I've been doing this job, in 2005 I could put out a sign-up sheet for a campus activity so that I knew who was coming and what I needed to order to be able to do it. And the vast majority of people that signed up were there. In 2007, or that school year, it went down. People would sign up, but not nearly as many. And then even less people would show up by the time of the event, and I was constantly left with all this extra, wasting my very precious small budget for what we have for campus activities. And then in 2008, he couldn't even barely get anybody to sign up. Uh, in fact, as one of the campus activities, we chartered a, um, a huge coach bus to drive down, take students down to Yankee Stadium. The last season, the old Yankee Stadium was in existence in 2008. I'm sure all of you already knew that. Um, and invited all the student body, whoever wanted to go, go. And the only people that went were mainly, like 90% international students. Uh, all the big Yankees fans, out of all of them, it was just Tab and I. And he's, I said, what is going on? He goes, because I was the one that was purchasing the tickets through somebody I knew. And uh, we just couldn't get anyone that would be interested. And he again said, Rob, I'm telling you, I cannot get people to commit. I'm very concerned for if these are the, the Christian leaders that we're raising up, what happens to the church uh, if we just can't get people to commit? Uh, fast forward a couple more years, and I was uh, lay leadership at a church, a church plant. And I would, when making an announcement, at that time there was this thing called Facebook that everybody was using. And... Uh, we would do a lot of our signups through Facebook. And I was doing a lot of the, I was in charge of all the community groups and discipleship, a lot of those different things. And again, I would say, invite, send the Facebook invite, and all I would get back was maybes. To the point where I finally would give the announcement at church and say, do not click maybe. Everybody look at me in the eyes. Do not click maybe. Maybe does not help me out in any way plan for how much pizza to buy. I can't tell the pizza place I maybe want a lot. So I started calling it our maybe culture. I was like, don't be part of this maybe culture. Uh, it didn't matter. People always clicked maybes. 
But what I have, again, my very short 26 years of life here on earth, um, okay, I'm 45, I'll, I'm almost 45. Um, what I've seen is just a complete lack of commitment in every aspect, whether it's work, church, ministry, whatever it is. There's a, a giant lack of commitment in general that I've watched progress just in that short period of time. I'm sure, Sal, you've seen it even more than I have. By the way, does everybody like Sal's outfit tonight? Didn't he? <laughs> We've seen a, a, a lack of commitment to just about everything. And it's always funny because everyone is committed to something. We're all committed to something. Even if you are committed to just not being committed, you have now committed to being noncommittal. But here in these opening two verses, we see the psalmist, uh, whoever is writing this, he starts off by saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord my soul, and then it's almost a, a terminology of making a commitment, making a vow, making an oath. He says, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. He is setting up the culture in his heart. He's setting up the culture of the people that are around him. He's setting up the mindset in his own mind that no matter what is going on in life, no matter what is happening in my surroundings, I am committed to spending my life praising God no matter what. No matter what happens, I will praise the Lord. Uh, one of my favorite people, he passed away a couple years ago. I want to say he was like 96 years old. Uh, he actually helped start the ministry that I worked for, a bunch of uh, places. Um, Marine in World War II, and he was just as tough as nails. Um, but he loved the Lord like no one else. And he would still get up there and preach in his 90s, and I mean just. I would always go, it was basically the same message every year, but I would always go here because it didn't matter. He was just so fiery, and he was you know, in his late 80s and into his 90s, and he was just still the same old guy. And he would go down to the campus they have in, in Florida, which is a huge RV park for people that are retired. And uh, he got up there one time, and it's all these people, uh, all these older people, retired, and he just started yelling at them and said, I am just so tired of all of you people walking around sad and angry. All of you are here because you know the Lord, and you have spent, I don't know how many years of your life knowing the Lord, and nobody has experienced more in your life than what you have, and yet you're all sad. Cut it out. You should be walking around the most joyful people in the world for what you've seen God do. And I just was like, this is awesome. <laughs> this guy's my new hero. But the way that we get to being people who are elderly is by putting those things into practice. We can't say, well, when I'm this, when I'm this age, I'm going to be different, unless you're starting it now. Unless you are now starting to set up that commitment level of praising God in your life, no matter the circumstances that are happening. We move to verses uh, 3 through 6. Sorry, 3 through 5. He goes on, Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Stop there. This is obviously, we're talking about a king who has princes, and when the king dies, the princes take over. There is no voting involved. But I want you to know that no matter what, from as soon as some form of human government started, it has always been the same. And that is, it seems, uh, again, I don't know who's writing this, and I don't know the conditions and why he specifically said it this way, but it seems like he just can't wait for whoever's next to be in charge. 
And they have set their minds, the people around him have set their minds on whoever is next because the guy now is not working out. And I think of, and again, I don't know when this psalm was written. I don't know who wrote it. But it does match up with some of the things we see in David's life. People got tired of David, and so they couldn't wait for their, his son to take over. In fact, they couldn't wait so much for his son to take over, the prince, that they decided that they would follow the prince, and then they hunted David to kill him so that the prince could take over. And so I think they've seen this so much throughout what, and again, this would have been Israel's history that he's writing about, but they would have seen this so much of getting tired of a political figure and not being able to wait for the next political figure. Even though at this time, the prince isn't going around, at least on social media and every news network, saying how things are going to be so much different when he takes control. I'm sure there was rumors and gossips and those things. But he wasn't making promises to get elected. He was just going to take over because of how he was born. And they still couldn't wait for it. Human beings are so good, going to the second line, at putting our hope in human beings. We love it. We really do. If we're honest, like, we love it. I don't know if you know this or not, there is another presidential election coming up this year. Uh, And I guarantee at some point we will be told this is the most important presidential election ever because they say that every four years. But it's not just necessarily a political leader as he follows it up with in human beings. Don't put your hope in human beings. And there's a lot of other things we put our hope in, uh, job titles, careers, uh, marital statuses, kids. We, We can put our hope in a lot of things, but specifically here he's saying don't put your hope in human beings. And there's a lot of different ways that we can um, put our hope in, and this is where we really find out where our hope lies, where our real hope lies. We can put our hope in a spouse. We can put our hope in our parents when we're younger, and as we have children, we start to put our hope in our children. Uh, We put our hope in our boss. We put our hope in our whatever it is. We are so good, and we love it, and we crave it, right? Like, we can't wait to find out who we are going to back with all of our heart and soul in this presidential election. And we are, like, we just wait on it. Can't wait. We don't say that. We don't really come out and, and, and say that. Like, oh, man, I can't wait to put my hope in another human being that's going to fail me. But we do it constantly. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking just in our lives. And we are constantly disappointed. So do not trust in princes or in human beings who cannot save. None of those things will save you. None of those things will give you the salvation from sin and death that we so desperately need. And then he says in verse 4, when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans, their promises, their hopes, their dreams, their desires, everything they told you that they have dies with them. And most of the time, most of the human beings that I've had relationships with, that I've found, I've put my hope in, have failed me repeatedly. It doesn't mean I stop loving them. It doesn't mean I stop caring for them. But am I putting my hope in them? Am I putting my hope in what they will do for me to make me feel better, uh, make more money, uh, make myself feel proud about what I've done? Or am I putting my hope and my desires in the God who saves? Then he finishes. Blessed are those whose help is the God of 
Jacob. Normally in the Old Testament we see, uh, blessed are those whose God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, as I said two weeks ago, we, we see those names, and for the Israelites, they would have known why. Uh, th- that wasn't just saying a name, blessed is the God of uh, Noah. Um, well, that doesn't make sense because it's a biblical figure, but I was looking specifically at Noah Pastel. Blessed is the God of this other guy I heard about. They would have been trained since being a child in the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and, and what the promises of God meant to every single one of them. That God promised Abraham that he would be the father of this great nation but only gave him one son. So we can have hope because then we see through and then they would have seen how God made promises to Isaac and he followed through on them. How God made promises to Jacob. But here he specifically says just Jacob. He's the God of Jacob. And what is Jacob known for? Jacob is known for patience and wrestling with God. So he's saying, I will wait. I will be patient. But there's going to be this wrestling, as, as we talked about about two months ago. Uh, the, the diary of David Brainerd, who said at night he would wrestle with God over the souls of the people that he was trying to reach. Uh, do we wrestle with God as far as uh, trying to understand God's mindset in something, but still praising him as we do it? Is our hope in a God who allows us, as we see through the Psalms, and one of the things I'm trying to do in this series is get you to fall in love with the Psalms and read the Psalms. Why? Because it's, the Psalms has taught me that it's okay to say, God, I am upset right now. Uh, some of the questions that we see David asking God, I remember reading those going like, I don't think you can do that. You can't ask those questions. You can't say that to God. But to me, it tells me that it's okay that I'm an emotional being, and it's okay to wrestle with my emotions while talking to God, that God has created my emotions, and God can be my guide as I walk through this life. And so I I love this very specifically here when he says, uh, blessed is uh, those whose help is the God of Jacob. He saw and he remembers God helping Jacob continue to go throughout his life through all the different troubles that he ran into, and then finishes with whose hope is in the Lord their God. Blessed are those whose hope is in the Lord, their God. And then it almost seems like it's this giant turn in the psalm, but it will flow together. And he now wants to put our attention on where people find hope. And starting in verse 6, he says, He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed And gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. As we see that he's talking of people that are putting their faith, he says, don't put your faith in hope. Put your faith in the God who saves. And then he immediately gives this example of basically the marginalized and the oppressed. And we see that God is the hope of the marginalized and the oppressed. The people who, and he he gives different things. He says the um, oppressed, the hungry, the prisoner, the blind, those who are bowed down or low in spirit. He says the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Over and over and over throughout Scripture, going all the way back to the law of Moses, we are constantly commanded as God's people up through all of the New Testament to take care of these people. The reason we did the grocery giveaway for three years is because we were feeding poor people. What did God say to do? Very simply, feed the poor people. 
feed people that need to eat. <clears throat> the question that we got when we first started a lot was from people saying, well, what if they actually have money to go buy food? And my response is, I don't care. We're handing out food, anybody can come get it. Hopefully, they take it and they give it to somebody else. So we feed the poor. He sets prisoners free. And again, there's a lot of both spiritual, but also very uh, legit, like uh, physical ways that this plays out. God sets us free from our prison of sin and death, but he also sets prisoners free. This is also almost a prophecy of what they would see happen right in front of them in the New Testament. He gives sight to the blind, again, both a spiritual and a physical. What do we see Jesus doing? He comes and he, re- he restores people's sight. But he also helps those who are spiritually blind come into the light and be able to know him. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, those who are low in spirit is how it's actually translated. They are just sad. They are depressed. They are hurting. They are anxious. They are going through all of these difficult emotions, but yet the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner. When a foreigner would come into the nation, they didn't have any rights. Uh, A lot of times they would just end up enslaved because they couldn't get anything, and they were treated as a foreigner. The fatherless and the widow, especially at this time, uh, if you lost your husband as a wife, chances of you not being able to feed your children and of starvation and death was extremely high. Uh, the, The children up to a certain age, and especially women, weren't really viewed as humans. They couldn't testify in court. They had basically zero rights. So God says, if I am the God who loves these people, the marginalized, the oppressed, the one that society looks down on, the one that society wish wasn't there because there's such an interruption to their life, the people that are hurt, uh, the people with special needs, the people with mental health issues, and you can go on, the addiction, the whatever it is, the people that we're surrounded with every single day of our life. What he's saying is if this is the God of those and God loves them and they can put their hope in God even though everything else in life has been nothing but hopeless, what are we doing to represent God in their lives? How are we demonstrating that although uh, because in a spiritual way, and this is one of the things I love um, thinking about at Christmas, although it can frustrate people, is we say, well, we give gifts because that's what God gave to us, right? Great. Picture it this way. God is this unbelievably loving God. We as human beings do nothing but sin against him constantly. For as soon as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, all we've done is sinned against him and offended him. So what I've challenged people in the past is, if you really want to celebrate Christmas like God, find the people who despise you and hate you and just cannot stand to be in the room with you, and then buy them gifts of stuff that they could never afford no matter what job they ever got. That's Christmas. That's what we actually are. We are those beggars. We are the people who are cast out. Our sin cast us out from the presence of God, and only because of God's unbelievable love for his creation did he send his one son, his perfect son, to come to earth and die a horrible death on the cross, taking our sins on his shoulders, taking our sins to the grave, and leaving him there when he defeated death and rose again. And he just continues to pour out gifts and blessings on us, even though we do nothing but constantly sin against him. And what he's saying is you, if you know Christ, you have experienced a love that you are not worthy of. You have experienced getting gifts that you are not worthy of. You have experienced all these things that you could never work enough to get, 
that you could never do enough good to deserve, and God has taken care of all of them. And in response, I want you, my people, to demonstrate that you love me by going and loving those that the world finds very hard to love and to care for. In fact, in the Old Testament, when you read through and God is destroying cities, what he continually says that we normally miss is he destroyed these cities because they weren't taking care of the widows and the fatherless and the orphans. They weren't taking care of the people with special needs. They weren't taking care of the people that were hurting in these communities. And that is why God would destroy these cities in the Old Testament because of their actions demonstrating that they truly did not love God and it was their punishment. So how do we respond in our lives to the marginalized and the oppressed? Are we living in a way to demonstrate that there is hope? That because of the hope that we have experienced in God, that we want to make sure that they know that they can have a hope in who he is as well. And then it finishes in verse 10, and this is where you see him inviting people in to praise with him. It says, The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. This is this reminder to put your hope in the eternal God. That no matter what situation, right where we started from, no matter what situation in life that you have found yourself in, put your hope in the eternal God. I want you to stop and ask yourself the question, again, as we come to the end of the year, this is usually a time where people start to say, okay, how did I do this last year? What am I doing different the next beginning two weeks of next year, if we're honest with ourselves? But ask the question as we finish up the year, where are you in your spiritual walk? Where are you in your spiritual walk? Are you willing or have you made a decision to commit your life to God? If you have never entered into that relationship of making Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, uh, why? Why have you not made that decision to follow after him? But also if you have put your, if you have made Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, have you made a, a commitment to praise God no matter what? That you are going to put things into practice in your life so that you are in the practice of praising him no matter what's going on in your life? I'm so thankful that we can put our hope as we started. The Old Testament would have been hoping for the coming Savior. Waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, generation after generation of waiting. The stories all through the Old Testament continually show imperfect saviors, the people that would show up, but they had some serious flaws. Abraham lied, uh, Moses disobeyed, and then basically, don't read Judges out loud with your children. That tells you all about <laughs> in, in imperfect saviors. And what they were doing, even though they were saving God's people, the other stuff, and over and over and over and over and over again, we see these imperfect saviors, all building up to the perfect savior. But they waited and they hoped. And again, 2,000 years later, we find ourselves looking back at the savior who came, that the Lord came, that he did everything he promised that he would do. There is nothing in this world that has a track record of keeping promises like God. So are you putting your hope in the eternal God? Are you celebrating that he sent his son to earth? Do we approach Christmas like, I deserve this? Or do we approach Christmas in humility 
in awe that God loved us so much that he sent his son for us. I'm going to ask you, bottom, you'll see the application. I just have a couple questions there for you to talk about, and I really hope you do. The reason we wanted to do handouts, the reason we started using those and putting out the application questions, for me, I always loved it because if I pick up a Bible and one of the notes from a message 19 years ago falls out, I can look through it again and uh, having sometimes these questions like, oh, yeah, I remember this. That's back when I committed to this and never followed through. So I'm hoping you're, you're keeping these. I'm hoping you're having conversations around these questions that we're giving you, whether in community group or just in your home or with friends. The first question I wanted to ask, are you, are you living a committed life of praise to God? Are you living a committed life of praise to God? Take some time this week to evaluate how you do with keeping commitments. Um, ask people around you. And if you ask them to get together, uh, for a cup of coffee and then you don't show up, you're not doing good at commitments. That's the little, little blip there on that. Ask people how you're doing with commitments, people you trust, people who love you. Number two, and by the way, that isn't just me telling you, hey, be more committed to church. This is in every aspect of life, especially the aspect of, of are you committed to praising God? Are you pr- committed to praising God and, and growing in your spiritual walk no matter where you find yourself? Number two, where do you find your hope? What are the things that make you feel hopeful for? Where do you find your hope? Uh, A lot of times, one of the things we can learn the most about, there's a quote, I can't remember who said it. Uh, He said, uh, it was on a book about anger, and he said, we become angry when one of our idols gets knocked off the shelf. In other words, when something false that we really put our hope in gets knocked down, that's when anger rears up. So sometimes it's what is causing you to be angry, what is causing you to be frustrated, what are some of the emotions that you're experiencing around certain things, and sometimes that's an indicator of, of what we have put our hope in. So where do you find your hope? And then number three, if God is the God of the marginalized and the oppressed, how does this play out in your life? How much time are we spending on looking at the marginalized and oppressed right in our own community and saying, what can we do to help them? Now, this is a setup question. Something that we do as a staff at Hope Church is constantly ask ourselves, okay, what can we be doing better? How are we obeying uh, biblical commands and the people that we should be taking care of? Uh, we've been doing the grocery giveaway for three years, and this last year we started having discussions of, can we do it better? What's a better way to do it? Uh, what's a better way to have different areas of ministry in our church that a lot of people can be involved in, uh, rather than people feeling like unless they have Friday off, they can't really help out with any ministry at church? So we have a couple new things that we'll be announcing come in January um, that we're really excited about. But the focus of all of them is how are we reaching the oppressed and the marginalized? How are we reaching the people, uh, as we kind of say half-kiddingly, we view the churches in Somerville as this beautiful mosaic of ceramic tile. And it's great. And there are excellent churches in town that I recommend. We view ourselves as the grout. The cracks in between the churches, the things that are being left behind, the things that aren't being seen, How do we come in and fill in those areas as a church? 
We also know that I can stand up here and say, hey, everybody, help the marginalized and the oppressed. Let's close in prayer and do that better this week. It's not really helpful. And so one of the other things that we've been talking about is we're starting some different equip classes. But part of all the equip classes that we're going to be starting is also a hands-on section of the equip class. So how are we actually setting stuff up for you to become and be a part of, see how it goes, but also to be able to find out what God's calling is in your life. Uh, what areas he gifted you in? What people are you passionate about? But also equipping you and coming around you so that you can minister to those people groups. And so in your own life, be praying, God, how do I demonstrate being a hope to the marginalized and the oppressed in our community? It's very weird because this is the last time that one will be meeting here in this building. It's the last time I'll see you this year, unless you come to the Christmas Eve service tomorrow night, which I hope you will. Talk more about that in the announcements section. But Hope Church, I can't tell you how much I love you, how much it has been a joy getting to know you. It's been a crazy year, I think, for just about everybody. But I'm hoping that we'll spend this rest of the year thinking not just how do we do life better in the world's eyes, but how do we do life better in God's eyes? How do we spend our life focusing on what's important? How do we spend our life living out the mission that God has for each and every one of us, both corporately as Hope Church, but also individually as you in your homes? Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be able to come together and, and celebrate you, to be able to come together and praise your name. Lord, I thank you so much for the Psalms and, and teaching us that it's okay to have emotions, that it's okay to talk to you about our emotions. Lord, I thank you so much that the Psalms continually point us back to praising you no matter the situation we find ourselves in. My prayer tonight is if there's anyone here who has never put their faith in you, that tonight you would be working in their heart. Our prayer is that today would be the day of salvation, that they would come to know you. That you would give them the courage to come up and talk to one of us then and ask the questions that they've been wanting to ask for a while. But I pray for the rest of us that do know you, Lord, that our prayer is that we would just continue to grow in you, that we would listen to your word, that we would listen to your spirit working in our life as you draw us closer to you and your son's likeness. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.